Listener-supported KFUO invites you to listen live to our annual share It's your opportunity to show your support to KFUO. If you can't join us live, please prayerfully consider supporting us by calling 314-996-1518 and asking about our giving levels. You can also click the Give Now button on our webpage. Share 2017, April 20th, 21st, and 22nd. You are listening to Law and Gospel on this April the 10th in the year of our Lord 2017. I'm Pastor Tom Baker, and we've got a number of readings we could look at because this is Holy Week. What does Holy Week mean? It begins on Palm Sunday, goes through Monday, Thursday, Good Friday, and then the highest festival of the year, Easter Sunday, although every Sunday should be somewhat of an Easter Sunday. There are a number of readings during Easter because some people have a Saturday night service or an early morning service. Then there are readings during the week of Easter. So we're going to be taking a look specifically at the New Testament reading for Easter Sunday from Matthew chapter 28, one to 10. Uh, before I start, I do want to make a uh, note about the horrible murders of Christians in Egypt. ISIS has claimed responsibility for the Coptic church bombings, and uh, at least 47 people were killed, many more injured as they were rejoicing concerning Palm Sunday. It is a fact that when you become a Christian, there will be those who hate you. Even in the United States, there are many murmurings against Christian teaching in regard to morality and other things. We, we prayed on Sunday asking God to guide the new Supreme Court justice and keep him courageous in what he has written quite a bit about, namely the sanctity of life in regard to to the baby in the womb, and also to the aged in hospice. You know, I kind of like blue bloods, but they get pretty liberal sometimes. This is a, a family in New York, and they're all involved with the police or their lawyers. But the, the last one was pretty sad. A woman was killed in bed by having a pillow put over her head and suffocating her. And we finally found out that it was her husband who did that because she had an incurable disease and she wanted to die. And, of course, she was in a state that doesn't allow for such physician-assisted suicide. So he had contacted a physician in another state and he had killed her. What was so sad is that when he finally admitted that he was the one who did it, and he said something along the lines that just, I'm really 
you know, upset over this. The policeman, who is part of the Blue Blood family, said, you have nothing to be upset over. Well, this is ridiculous. Where in the scripture are we allowed to kill people because they're at the end of their life? Well, what really gets me thinking, you know, there was a gas in Syria that killed a lot of children. I'm not sure a lot of people realize that abortion is just as bad. There are ways to kill children in the womb, and sometimes it's just, well, we won't mention the ways because this is family radio, but be that as it may, how can people be so upset what's happening in Syria when it happens in Planned Parenthood rooms every day? This just shows how the conscience of many people in America has wandered from the Word of God and had their own ideas as to which babies one should sorrow over. That's just kind of a couple of points I was thinking about during this weekend. As I indicated last week, I had 12 sermons to preach within 12 days. I've completed seven of them, have five more to go, and then found out I have another one, an additional one, on the following Tuesday after Easter here at the IC, International Center of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Somebody couldn't do the sermon, and so they switched times. I had it a little later in the month, but no problem. Be glad to do it on Tuesday. So let's get to our lesson. Matthew 28, 1 to 10. Being at Trinity Orchard Farm, as I have, I didn't realize how few really, really good hymns there are without hallelujahs in them. In other words, I'm really looking forward to Easter where we can get back to the hallelujahs. One of the sermons I did was, of course, for a funeral, and it was difficult to find a hymn that had the joy of Easter in it without the hallelujahs. But Sunday, we're going to be singing hallelujahs. The reading for this particular season, we're on a three-year reading system. Matthew is readings for A. Next year, Mark is readings for B. Luke is readings for C, year C, and then John is interspersed throughout. This being year A, Matthew 28. So let's just start right off. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now, this already solves one problem I had. I was reading somebody who was making the point that Jesus could have risen from the dead any time after 6 p.m. Saturday, our time. Now, what, what, what does that mean? P- 
because in Jewish reckoning, the day begins at 6 p.m. The setting of the sun begins the new day. Romans, no, it was midnight. In fact, one can make a case, according to Jewish reckoning of time, that Jesus had the Lord's Supper on Friday, because it would have been in the evening, and therefore it wasn't really Monday, Thursday, it was Friday. He was arrested on Friday. The trial was on Friday. He was crucified on Friday. And he was buried on Friday, remember? Because they went to Pontius Pilate and wanted to take the body and bury him, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, prior to the Sabbath, which would have been Saturday at 6 p.m. our time Friday. So when I heard or read this from an individual who said Jesus could have risen from the dead like anytime after 6 p.m. Saturday night because it was already Sunday, I said, that just doesn't seem right. And then this text is really pretty good. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week. Now, the dawn doesn't occur between 6 p.m. Saturday night and 3 a.m. Sunday morning, our time. No, it would have been when the sun was coming up. And so Sunday morning early was when Jesus was crucified, according to Matthew 28, verse 1. Then we remember Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now, who's this other Mary? We believe that the individual who was the other Mary was presumably the mother of James and Joseph, who's mentioned in chapter 27, verse 56. Uh, This was at the cross. There were also many women there looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among whom were Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. And, of course, we know also his own mother, Mary. So Scripture interprets Scripture helps us to understand who these two Marys are. Now, there's something about the Bible a lot of people don't realize, that these events are not often portrayed in proper chronological order. What? You mean the Bible makes mistakes? No, no. The point I'm making is that a lot of the Bible is not just simply a historical account of Jesus. For example, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John may have events occurring at different times, it appears, when in reality... They chose those particular events to talk about because of a theological reason. We, we, we find this here in Matthew 28, verse 2. It says that Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb, and behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. 
His appearance was like lightning and the clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. And the angel said to the women. Now, you see, this appears to be saying the following. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were going to see the tomb. And when they got there, there was a great earthquake. An angel of the Lord descended from heaven he came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And the women saw the guards in fear tremble and become like dead men. No. There were no guards there when they arrived. We, we know that from the other passages. So why is this said? Well, this is kind of the context preparing the women who are about to reach the tomb. It's very clear that verse 2, the verb is a passive. There was a great earthquake. So it doesn't say there is a great earthquake that they saw. This is kind of setting up the scene which the women will be seen when they get there. So the earthquake had occurred before. And an angel of the Lord descended from heaven, came, rolled back the stone, and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, his clothing white as snow. When that happened, the guards trembled and were for fear and became like dead men. Now, that means they either fainted or they were petrified. But they were gone when the women arrived. But the angel was not gone. And the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you see Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen as he said. Wow. There is an English translation here that is in error. And yet most of the translations make this error. It's when the angel says, do not be afraid, for I know that you see Jesus who was crucified. Uh, Dr. James Veltz, I was listening to him both in a Bible study and then, of course, he's writing a commentary on on Mark, which everybody should buy because there are so many insights on every page that you don't even think about. But one of the points he makes here is that a careful understanding of the proper grammar here, the angel does not say, I know that you see Jesus who was crucified, but I know that you see Jesus who is crucified. It's a present tense. Now, wait a minute, does that make any sense? Does it seem like the angel is saying that Jesus is still being crucified? No. So how can we explain why the angel truly said he is crucified rather than he was crucified? The example I've given, and you probably heard it before because I've used this, is I'm walking down the street with my father. And here comes somebody I know, but he doesn't know my father. So my friend says, hi, Tom, how you doing? I said, fine. Then he sees my father and says, who is this? 
And I say, this was my father. Now, you can well imagine that after the conversation and my friend leaves, my father looks at me and says, why did you say I was your father? And I, I, I could say, well, you know, you brought me into the world and that's where you were father. But nobody thinks that way. You see, the proper thing to have said was, this is my father. Because yes, he was responsible for bringing me into the world, but he continues to be my father and taking care of me and disciplining me, giving me food to eat, clothing to wear, place to sleep, etc. The critical thing about saying that Jesus is crucified means that the benefits of the crucifixion are still coming to us. The crucifixion was not a past action for which there are no consequences for you and for me. No, Jesus is the crucified one. From the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That also is coming to us. And every Christian who dies in the faith, the same words can be said to him as were said to the thief on the cross, today you shall be with me in paradise. In other words, to speak about Jesus Having been crucified can leave the impression, well, that was a past act. It's all over with. No, the benefits are still coming on. Just like it's not that he was my father, he is my father. This is why you need a pastor who not only knows the original languages of the Bible, because there is so much there. In the sermon I had on Palm Sunday at Trinity Lutheran Orchard Farm for the um, uh, new confirmands, I mentioned uh, one word of the original Hebrew, and I indicated this is its true meaning because the English didn't give that sense as clearly. And so I was trying to make a point, and oftentimes I will bring in the original Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic in order to help clarify the true meaning of the text. Now, come and see the place where he lay, the angel continues. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead, and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. Now, an angel is as good as God himself speaking. Not all angels, because the devil himself is an angel. Demons are angels. But this was the angel, and we don't have his name. We only know of Gabriel and Michael as good angels in the Bible. But there was an angel that came and strengthened Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Maybe this is the same angel. Who knows? But at any rate, this angel, when he speaks, it's as though God himself is speaking. That's also true of a proper pastor. What do I mean by a proper pastor? 
I'm talking about somebody who has not only been properly ordained and called, but who is speaking the word of God in its truthfulness. In fact, there are certain parts of the liturgy where it is very clear that the pastor is not speaking his own words, but the words of Jesus. Uh, For example, the absolution. Absolution, what's that? After the confession of sins, your sins are forgiven or absolved. They're taken care of. They're paid for. And the pastor will say, upon this, your confession, I by virtue of my office, as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto you, and in the stead of, that means in the place of, and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One of the questions I asked the confirmands on Friday night during examination was, okay, does the pastor have power to forgive sins? I always like to set up a group of questions where a lot of times Christians give the wrong answer. And in light of the fact that pastors are seen to be forgiving sins, you would think the answer to that would be yes. Pastors have the power to forgive sins, or else why are they doing it? But then theology is the art of making distinctions. Pastors do not have the power to forgive sins. They don't? Then why do they forgive sins? Because they have the authority to forgive sins. I'll give you a very simple example. Does anyone have the right to execute someone if they have committed first-degree murder? And not everyone has that right. But a judge does. But he doesn't do it on his own person. He does it because he's been given the authority to do so. And so in light of the jury's sentence of guilty, in light of the jury's recommendation that the person be executed, I therefore say that on such and such a date, you will be put to death. No judge has the power to do it, but he has the authority to do so. And he has to do it according to his office. So the women departed from the tomb with fear and great joy. They ran to tell the disciples, and guess what? Jesus met them and said, greetings. And then the next part is really important. They came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. That word worship is a word that's only used in regard to God. Worship is never done, even to an angel. When John, the writer of Revelation, wants to worship the angel at the end of the book, the angel says, no, I'm only an angel, I'm a fellow servant, worship God alone. And people don't think that Jesus is God? Then you'd have to say that these women are committing idolatry in worshiping Jesus, but they are not, because Jesus truly is God. 
You can do about 30 different sermons for Easter Sunday because there are so many facets of the Easter celebration that you can bring about. We just don't have enough time. That, that's why we have another 51 weeks after Easter to continue with the Easter celebration. On tomorrow's Long Gospel, we're going to be with Pastor Mark Smith, and we're going to have to decide, are we going to do a Monday Thursday hymn, a Good Friday hymn, or the Easter hymn? We'll let you know when you tune in tomorrow. But at this point, if you want to get a hold of me with any question, we are not going to be here Good Friday. There's going to be other programming, and so... We won't have an open mic Friday. Try and answer that on Wednesday. Law and Gospel at lawandgospel101.com. I'm Tom Baker. God bless. Listen to Law and Gospel each weekday at this time on Worldwide KFUO. For a contribution to the program, make your check payable to Law and Gospel and mail it to Pastor Tom Baker, Post Office Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri 63132. You can call toll-free at 1-877-267-1962 or email lawandgospel at lawandgospel101.com. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.